Let's pray and ask God for his help. Please join me as we pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that as we hear from your word tonight, you help us not just to be hearers, but doers. Please give us hearts that are willing to obey what we hear. Help us to genuinely turn away from sin, trust you, listening to you, wanting to be the people who love you and obey you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I walked my kids up to the bus stop near our home. It was, uh, in fact, it was the first day of school. I don't know if you remember it. It's a Tuesday, the 27th of, uh, of January. It was screaming down with rain on the day, and we were taking refuge under some pretty shonky little umbrellas. We were standing there with the rain pouring down around us with these tiny little umbrellas, and then uh, while we're standing there, a truck drives past, and uh, through a puddle, it splashes us with a tidal wave, a tsunami of water. And well, the umbrellas were completely useless. We were soaked to the skin. The umbrellas proved to be an inadequate refuge from the rain. A classic story about inadequate refuges, of course, is the story of the three little pigs. Uh, The big bad wolf, he wants to eat the three little pigs. He's obviously Italian. He sees prosciutto and salame and uh, pork uh, pork chops. One of the pigs takes shelter in a house of straw. But what does the big bad wolf do? He huffs and he puffs and he blows the house down. The house can't shelter him. The next one takes shelter in a house of wood. But again, the big bad wolf, he huffs and he puffs and he blows the house down. It's only the third house, the house of bricks, that can stand up to the wolf. The other two proved to be, to use a bit of alliteration, rickety refuges. Rickety refuges. Well, as we've seen so far in our studies in the book of Jeremiah, God has a message for the Jewish people. He is about to huff and to puff and to blow their house down. He has had enough of their idolatry and their sin, and he's sending the Babylonian army to destroy them. But now in these next few chapters, we see that many of the Jewish people, they think they have refuge from God's judgment. They're relying on certain things, a whole heap of different things we'll see tonight, and through these things, they think they can escape from God's anger. They think they'll be okay with God because of these things. These people think they have refuge, but God is perfectly clear about it. They don't. All their refuges are rickety refuges. They will not give shelter when judgment comes. The first refuge, the first refuge that people thought they had was the temple in Jerusalem. Now, God had given the Jewish people the temple. And it was given as a refuge for them from God's judgment. You may remember Solomon's prayer. When you hear the prayers from this house, then please hear, listen, and forgive your people. God did give the temple as a way that he could dwell among his people. But the problem is this. The people of Jeremiah's day, they were misusing the temple. They thought, as long as we've got the temple... Well, great, we're safe and we can do whatever we want for the rest of the time. God says, you're kidding yourselves. He says, the temple is no benefit to you unless you have hearts that are repentant, unless you want to live to please me. Have a look with me at chapter 7 of Jeremiah. 
chapter 7 and verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and there proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Reform your ways and your actions and I'll let you live in this place. Don't trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your forefathers forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless, will you? steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal and follow other gods you've not known and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. That's a vivid image. Don't you reckon? A den of robbers. You know what a robber's den is, don't you? The robbers, they go out stealing things or whatever, and then they come back to their den where they hide out from the authorities and they they, they stay safe there until they're ready to go out and do more mischief. That's the picture of how the Jews are using the temple. They, They can go out and do whatever they want, sin however they want, and then they think they're safe to hide out in God's temple until they're ready to go out for more mischief. The Jewish people, uh, to change images, they saw the temple as a license to sin with impunity. As a get-out-of-jail-free card. God says, no way. The temple is not a den for robbers. Unless the people have repentant hearts, unless they want to live for God, the temple is a rickety refuge. In the next part of the chapter, God says, you reckon your temple will keep you safe? Think back to Shiloh. Shiloh, apart from being a lovely Neil Diamond song, was was the last place in in Israel where the the tabernacle was, where where the tabernacle was in in the days of Eli. And uh, when they ignored God and rebelled against God, God flattened it. He says, go look in Shiloh. See a tabernacle there? Uh Uh-uh don't think you can rely on this temple anymore if you're not going to live my way. God then goes on to deal with another rickety refuge. Now, the people thought they could escape God's judgment because they were offering animal sacrifices. Now again, animal sacrifices were given by God in his law and they were meant for the forgiveness of sins, for a sinner to be able to offer a sacrifice and have their sins forgiven. But again, the thing is this, the sacrifices are not a license to sin either. You don't offer a sacrifice so you can get away with sin unless the people have repentant hearts that want to live for God, sacrifices too are a rickety refuge. Verse 21, chapter 7 and verse 21. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought your forefathers out of Egypt and spoke to them, I didn't just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command. Obey me. And I will be your God, and you will be my people. 
Walk in all the ways I command you that it may go well with you. Sacrifice is not a license to sin. Chapter 8, God deals with another rickety refuge. This time it's God's law. Jewish people were saying, it's fine, we're okay with God, we've got all the wisdom we need because we've got God's law. God says, well, the problem with that is you're not doing it. You don't understand it, you've rejected it because you're not obeying the law. Having the law is nothing. Pick it up in chapter 8 and halfway through verse 7. Chapter 8 and halfway through verse 7. My people do not know the requirements of the Lord. How can you say, we are wise for we have the law of the Lord, when actually the lying pens of the scribes has handled it falsely? The wise will be put to shame. They'll be dismayed and trapped since they've rejected the word of the Lord. What kind of wisdom do they have? Having God's law is nothing. It doesn't give you an excuse to live contrary to the law. God gave his law, his law to, be, to be obeyed by the repentant, not to be possessed by people who want to sin. And so again, unless the people have repentant hearts that want to live for God, God's law is a rickety refuge. Chapter 9, we see another couple of rickety refuges. Firstly, uh, the people relying on themselves, on their own wisdom and strength and money. God says, not going to help you. Don't boast in that. Chapter 9, verse 23. Chapter 9, verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Next verse, we we go straight into another rickety refuge. Some of the Jewish people thought that the fact that they were circumcised in their flesh meant that they would be safe from God's anger. And again, circumcision is is something that was given by God. Given by God as a sign for the Jewish people, a sign of God's covenant with them, a sign that they were set apart for God. But God says, without repentance, without a desire to live for him, it is useless. No shelter from the coming judgment. Circumcised flesh is no substitute for a circumcised heart that wants to love God. Verse 25, chapter 9, verse 25. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the desert in distant places, for all these nations are really uncircumcised. And even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. Our final chapter for today deals with one last rickety refuge, and that is, uh, that's the issue of idolatry. The Jewish people were relying on idols, uh, worshipping idols instead of God, praying to them instead of to God. But in, in what is really quite a, quite a magnificent chapter, I encourage you to read it for yourself, chapter 10, God contrasts himself with the idols. The idols, dead, useless, hopeless, helpless, by contrast, with the God who made the world. First, have a look with me at the idols. Chapter 10 and verse 3. Chapter 10 and verse 3. The customs of the people are worthless. They they cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nail so it will not totter. 
Like a scarecrow in a melon patch, their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them. They can do no harm, nor can they do any good. Idols, useless. But by contrast, God is true and living and powerful. He is the saviour. He is the provider. He is the judge. Verse 10, chapter 10, verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. Tell them this. These gods who did not make the heavens and earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. But God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom, stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When he thunders, the waters in the heavens roar. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. There's no comparison. How utterly ridiculous to worship a block of wood or a stone and to ignore the God who made the entire universe, the God who holds your every moment in his hand. The people's wisdom, strength, money, no shelter. Idols, rickety refuge. And even all the things God gave, temples, sacrifices, law, circumcision, without repentance rickety refuges and so once again jeremiah's message is the judgment is coming god is going to huff and he's going to puff and he's going to blow their house down they will be exiled from the promised land and none of their straw houses will be any help to them at all verse 18 chapter 10 verse 18 this is what the lord says at this time i will hurl out those who live in this land i'll bring distress on them so that they may be captured Well, verse 22, 22, listen, the report is coming, a great commotion from the land of the north. It will make the towns of Judah desolate, a haunt of jackals. Well, the very last part of verse 25, talking about the nations around, they have devoured Jacob. They've devoured him completely and destroyed his homeland. Okay, can you see what's here in these chapters of Jeremiah? It's um, pretty much the same message we've seen over and over again, isn't it? It's pretty intense. This is only week three. We've got 16 weeks of this still to come and there's not much let up. Believe me, there might be one or two talks that are a bit happier. The rest is all going to be like this over and over again. Welcome. Enjoy. Um, God has had enough of Judah's sin. He's going to huff and puff and blow their house down. But, but do you see the focus of these chapters? Do you see the kind of unique thing about these chapters? All these rickety refuges... All these things the Jews are relying on, things they think will mean that they're safe from God's anger, God says none of them will stand. He says your wisdom, your money, your strength can't save you. Your idols, hopeless, useless, can't save you. And even the things that I gave you, even the things that God gave you, even the temple, sacrifices, the law, circumcision, no help unless you actually want to live as God's people. No help without repentance unless the people have hearts that want to live for God, even these good things are rickety refuges. All right. Let's think for a little while about how this applies to us. As we've seen over the last couple of weeks, God's judgment is still looming. 
Uh, hopefully we'll pretty much have memorized Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31 by the time we finish this series. God has set a day when he would judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. God's judgment looms. The day will soon come when every knee will bow to King Jesus. When God will judge, the Bible says, the secrets of people's hearts. That is what's going to happen soon. You will stand before God and he will judge the secrets of your heart. What do you reckon then? Do you think... Do you think we ever try to take shelter in rickety refuges? Uh, do, you, do you think we ever try to find refuge in idols or in our own wisdom or strength or money? I mean, these things make a difference in this life, don't they? If you work hard and, and develop wisdom, you'll get stuff in this world. If you work out and get strong, it will help you with things in this world. If you get money, it can buy stuff in this world. If you treat these things as idols, they will get you things that you want. They can give you the illusion that you are in control of your life. But friends, when judgment day comes, none of them will stand. When we stand before God, the idols we served will be shown for what they are, lifeless, powerless, helpless. When we stand before God... Our wisdom will do us no good. There is no T-E-R to get into heaven. You can't study hard enough to get there. When we stand before God, our strength will do us no good. You can't bench press your way into heaven. You can't arm wrestle God for a place in heaven. When we stand before God, our money will do us no good. It is the wrong currency. You cannot buy your way into heaven. Our wisdom, our strength, our money will do us no good on Judgment Day, and yet we spend a heck of a lot of our lives pursuing them, don't we? We spend a heck of a lot of our lives worshipping them. Friends, I hope they're not going to be a rickety refuge for you and for me. Friends, when we stand before God, before God, our only hope is Jesus. Our only, hope, our only hope is the Jesus who fulfills all those things that the Jews were relying on. Uh, the Jesus who's the true temple, the true place where God and man meet. Uh, our only hope is Jesus, the true revelation of God who fulfills and, and surpasses the Old Testament law. Uh, our only hope is Jesus, the true sacrifice for sin. Uh, our only hope is Jesus, the one who truly circumcises us, sets us apart for God. Our only hope on that last day will be Jesus. But friends, we've got to remember what we've seen here in Jeremiah. Jesus is not a den for robbers. Did you get that? Just like the Old Testament temple and sacrifices and, uh, and law and circumcision, Jesus is not a license to sin. D did you notice it in our second reading? From Matthew chapter 7, I reckon it's one of the scariest passages in the entire Bible. As those people come before Jesus, Lord, Lord, look at all the things we did for you. And he goes, who are you? Well, you're one of those people who, who didn't want to obey the Father's will. Never heard of you. Did you notice the two builders? Both have heard Jesus' word. Only one has put it into practice. The other one, 
falls with a great crash. Friends, Jesus is a great saviour. Jesus is a more than adequate saviour, but we've got to ask ourselves, what do we want a saviour for? Why are we relying on Jesus? Do we want a saviour who saves us so we can sin as much as we want? Or do we want a saviour who saves us from sin? Are we treating Jesus like a den for robbers? Ask yourself this, when you're faced with temptation, when you're faced with temptation, have you ever said something like this to yourself? It's all right, I'll sin now, then I'll ask for forgiveness later. Have you ever done that? Do you think you can come to church on Sunday, pray to Jesus for forgiveness, and then be safe? Safe to to sin as much as you want Monday to Saturday. Are we trying to take refuge in Jesus without the need to repent? Are we wanting Jesus to save us but not be our king? You know, this is a very common picture that people have of Christians. That we are the hypocrites who come to church, get our dose of forgiveness so we can head out and be no different to anybody else. Friend, is that you? Then you are in grave danger. You are sheltering in a rickety refuge. The true Jesus, he came not to be just our saviour but our Lord. The true Jesus came to be our king who demands that we live his way and not our way. The true Jesus refuses to be a den for robbers. He will not allow you to to make him a hideout so you can sin with impunity. I mean, we saw it a couple of weeks ago in the book of Titus, didn't we? The grace of God that brings salvation also teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for Jesus to return. Which Jesus? The Jesus who redeems us from wickedness. The Jesus who purifies people for himself who are eager to do what is good. You want to be a person not eager to do what is good? You want to be an impure person? You want to be a person saved for wickedness rather than from wickedness? You're in the wrong religion. You're relying on the wrong saviour. Now, of course, we all sin, don't we? And we all keep on sinning, even as Christians. And sad to, ta- sad to say, I'm sure that we all presume on Jesus' forgiveness. I'm sure that we've all had the experience of saying to ourselves, I'll do this sin later, then I'll, uh, I'll do this sin now, and then I'll ask Jesus to forgive me later. I think we've all had the experience of treating Jesus like a den for robbers. And I take it forgiveness is still possible for us. We ought we, we, we should, we, we must keep coming back to Jesus time and time again and, and I believe that he will keep receiving us time after time after time. Of course we all fail. But can you see the point that Jeremiah is making here? Jesus came to save us from sin, not for sin. And so when we come to him, it's got to be with a genuine desire to turn away from sin. It's got to be a genuine desire to live for him. If that's not our desire, we don't really want saving at all. Friends, Jesus is a great saviour, the one true refuge from the judgment of God, but don't be deceived. Unless we have repentant hearts that want to live for God, then even our faith in Jesus will prove to be a rickety refuge. Let's pray.
Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that Jesus is a great saviour, the true temple, the true sacrifice, the true law, the true circumcision. Thank you that he has done all it takes to save us. Heavenly Father, we are so sorry for when we use him as a den for robbers, for when we think we can rely on Jesus so we can be forgiven to live our way and do what we want. Father, please forgive us. Please work in us by your spirit and grant to us the genuine repentance that wants to stop living our way and live with Jesus as our Lord and King. We pray it in his name. Amen.